Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, Otha, for doing what all these young people should have been doing, hyping up the song. Sometimes, not all heroes wear capes, people. Sometimes they sing the hype part. Yes. All right. Hey, we're going to get into our lesson this morning. We, uh, if you know, if you were at midweek and we talked about this, and if you've seen some of the posts, social media posts, we are going to start a series called uh, "The Villain." But here's here's how we're going to here's how we're going to do this. Uh, I'm going to introduce this this way. Here's the Bible, okay? And we read the Bible like good church-going folk, and we look into the Bible for, you know, what is God trying to tell me? And that's exactly what we should be doing. And yet, uh, most of the time, a, a story, especially a narrative, will have a good guy and a bad guy. A story in the Bible will have a hero and a villain. And that is in, like, runs throughout the Bible. And we read the Bible... And if you're like me, maybe I'm the only one, but if you're like me, I tend to try to like attach myself, self-identify with the hero. And I am like, this is who I want to be, so this is who I want to learn from, right? So these are good examples in the Bible. I want to follow good examples, so I want to I be like this person, this guy or even this girl, and I want to be like this, so I'm going to learn these, the hero lessons. But that's the issue that we're going to be looking at this series, okay? We're going to be focusing on the kind of a problem that comes from self-identifying as the hero. We want to embody these traits, so we kind of insert ourselves into the story alongside the hero. And we tell ourselves that the hero's lessons and the hero's growth is our lesson and our growth, okay? God wants for us what he wanted for the hero. Who are the heroes? Guys like David, guys like Joseph, guys like Moses, guys like, you know, the, the apostles. Like, these are the good guys throughout the Bible. And we're going to look at, at, at several of those stories. But this comes with an inherent problem, an inherent danger of always approaching your Bible study like that. Who's the good guy? What's his lessons? What's his growth? And I want that for me too, so I'm going to do that. The problem is we, we ignore the villain. And if you're like me, you've read certain stories, and if I were to quiz you on the bad guy, you'd be like, oh, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the bad guy because what am I trying to do? I'm trying to like, learn from the hero. I'm trying to like, get the hero lesson, experience the hero growth, because I want to be the hero. So we ignore the lessons of the villain. He is not us, so we don't need to concern ourselves with his lessons. And sometimes we don't even think, what are the lessons of the villain in this story? He obviously didn't learn his lessons. He obviously didn't experience his growth. That's why he's not the hero of his story. He's the bad guy. He's the, he is the villain. And if he had, maybe he would have been the hero. And that might be true, 
Except here, that does not negate this very important truth. The villain's lessons might be your lessons too. The lessons of the villain might be for you and for me. And when you ignore the villain, you ignore the villain's lessons. When you ignore the villain's lessons, you might never become the hero of your story either. The hero ignored, or the villain ignored his lessons, and you ignore them also. And that makes us the villain sometimes. And so, I've got a long intro. I'm not even, I'm not even a third of the way done with my introduction. And then I've got two points, okay? But I'm gonna like, since this is the intro of the whole series, I'm literally gonna just like hammer you over the head with this point over and over and over again until it sinks in, and then we're going to move on. I'm going to give you two examples of this, and then we'll do the rest of the series. But I looked up, like, well, what are some of the villains? I, I, I try to read a lot about, like, you know, when I'm going to preach something, man, I really don't want to come up here and just wing it. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn, and, and I was looking for, like, famous villains in the Bible and just reading different people's perspectives and commentaries and blogs and stuff, and, and then I started to notice something, this trend that kind of went over and over and over again. So I found this article online. Five lessons from bad guys in the Bible that we need to hear today. I'm like, perfect. This, is, this guy is going to say what I want to say about whatever villains he's picking. And yet, when I read it, I was super disappointed. This is how he starts. There are plenty of bad guys in the pages of the Bible who have powerful lessons for us as well. I'm like, oh, okay, good job. See if you recognize some of these bad guys in our world today. Oh, do you see what he just did? He completely was like, we need to learn these lessons because we need to find other people that are being bad guys. Remember when Lauren did the welcome and she talked about the othering of people? That's exactly, this whole this whole article, I'm not going to tell you where to find it. I'm not going to tell you what it is. This whole article was just like, here's a bad guy in the Bible. Here's why he was bad. Can you spot people in, in your church that are like this? And at no point in the whole article did he ever say, are you like this? Do you do this? This is how it ends. It reminds us to be on the lookout for similar bad guys today and to not repeat their mistakes. <laughs> That's how we all like to do it. Like, what's something bad? Who is being the bad guy? You are. Glad I'm not like you. And so we, this whole thing is about internalizing the villain. And it's just, and we need to shake up the way we think about this. Uh, you know, one of my best friends, Chad Taylor, he, he's been doing this for like the whole last year where he reads the Bible, he slows way down, and he's like, I am not the good guy. I am the bad guy of every story. Now, is that always true? No, not, probably not. But what can we learn if we start with that like basic assumption? I remember, uh, I don't know if I've ever told this story. Uh, but Phil, Phil Moore, who used to lead the church here, when we were in India, it's, it came up last night, we were at dinner and we were talking about India, 
and Phil. And, um, and I remember, like, for, so we, I was in India with Phil for three weeks, and the first two weeks were great, where everything was fine, and me and Phil were roommates, and we spent, like, non 24 hours a day together, and we'd get up and have coffee, and I remember being open with him. Now, the last week was traumatic, and that was a whole other story, but the first two weeks were this beautiful time I just got to spend with Phil. And I remember I was confessing some sin to him. And, uh, and, I, and I immediately jumped to, like, well, I want to be like this guy. And I used uh, a good guy in the Bible. I want to be like this. And he said, but maybe you're not. <laughs> maybe you're the bad guy. And I was like, well, I don't want to think that way. <laughs> But so this is what this is how we're we're getting to this series, okay? All right, here's two here's two people. A lowly little shepherd guy and a high and mighty king. And if you if you remember several Bible stories, you know, Moses was a shepherd, David was a shepherd, like you know, the the good guy can often be resembled as like the humble, gentle, you know, shepherd guy. And then a lot of times in the Bible the king is actually the bad guy. David even when he becomes king does some bad things. Saul and Pharaoh and all this stuff. And so the bad guy is kind of in the position of power. And then the question is, like, well, where am I? I'm just this guy who's like looking at my phone and getting through life. And if I had to like pick where on the spectrum, I don't even know if this is gonna, this is gonna play. So like where, if I had to pick on the, on the scale, on the hero spectrum, between hero and villain, between shepherd and king, between lowly and humble and like oppressive and mighty, where would I put myself? And guys, the answer is we all want to put ourselves down on this end of the spectrum. We all want to think that we're closer to the hero, right? Between David and Saul, where am I? And I'll be like, I'm so, I'm, I'm so much like David. Between Moses and Pharaoh, I, who, where am I? I'm like, I'm definitely more like Moses, right? And then I had to ask myself two very important questions, okay? If, if David had to place where he thinks I'm at, where would he? If David followed me around and said, oh, actually, on further review, your life looks like this. And he got to place me. Where would David place me? Where would Moses place me on the spectrum of himself to Pharaoh? Or, and like, where would um, Joseph place me on, on the scale of you know, him to his brothers? Like, where would the hero place me? And then the, like, the super convicting thing is where would the villain place me? Like, on the scale of Moses you know, to Pharaoh... Or David to Saul, or what? Like, where would the villain say, "Here's where I think. Here's who you more resemble." And again, I'm just going to say this because I say it a lot. Our modern conveniences and our modern freedoms and our modern ease of life immediately puts our quality of life above some of the richest kings in the Old Testament. If the kings of old saw what we had and take for granted, they'd be like, your life is amazing. 
you're definitely not anything like, like lowly David or lowly Moses or lowly um, Joseph or any of the, the, the heroes. And this came, we were talking about this after, um, after midweek when we went out. And, and I haven't like thought this 100% through, so please forgive me. But if I, were to, if I were to transplant back like 200 years when there was like active slavery in America, like I, I would say, well, I am definitely not for slavery in any way, shape, or form. But, but what, would the, what would the slave and what would the slave owner say, well, you're, you're not like, you're more like me than him. And that, I just had to like really come to grips with, we, we want to disassociate from the villain so fast, and yet maybe there's lessons of the villain. All right, I am still not done with our introduction, guys. Here we go. So here we go, here's the Bible. There are two things I really want to, us to keep in mind throughout this whole lesson, this whole series. So the first off is, when we look at a villain, do I recognize any part of my character in this guy? And we're going to do some examples of that. Do I see myself in him? Do I see him in me? Do I, is there overlap between the, the villain in the Bible and me? And, let, and we have to be totally honest with ourselves. And then, the second question is, what lessons could God want me to learn from this? Because there are hero lessons, and there are villain lessons, and I, I truly believe that they're in the Bible so that God is, is showing us both of them. And he doesn't want us to just read half the Bible. And then, finally, I just want to stop here. We need to read the Bible through the lens of, I'm looking to get challenged here. Do we read, you're like, bro, I read the Bible to be comforted. That's not wrong. Yes, we read the Bible to, to get comforted by God. Yes. But if we only read the comforting parts, we miss a huge part of what God is trying to tell us. And so, we search for challenges. We search for things that hit us. We search for conviction. We search to find ourselves in all the villains. And then, what do we do? We submit ourselves to the Word of God. And a lot of us would be like, of course, that's what we do. No one's going no to argue that. We change, we grow. And here's, here's just what I want to say. If the trajectory, if you were to chart out your trajectory of your relationship with the Word of God, okay? So you, you, let's say you started out, you were completely ignorant of the Bible, you were introduced to the Bible, and now it's like many, many years later, you've been reading the Bible. If that trajectory only gets more and more comfortable, if that trajectory continues to only always make you feel right about whatever it is, uh, something is wrong with our relationship with the Word of God. If our, if our trajectory with the Bible just keeps confirming our beliefs and our opinions and our whatever, and we, and we just immediately stop paying attention to the things that challenge us. If you've been a disciple for 10, 15, 20 years, and you read the Bible and you aren't challenged, you aren't convicted, you, 
you, you never walk away with something you can grow in. Either you're the most spiritual person in the world. Congratulations, good for you. But it also might indicate that you're self-deceived. And that you're not reading maybe what God is hoping you would get out of the Bible. Okay, how are we doing? We're halfway through our lesson and uh, that's the introduction, okay? So that is how we're going to proceed through the rest of uh, the next few weeks. We're going to look at two examples of villains in the Bible. And we're going to look at their lessons. So the first one we're going to look at is Joseph's brothers. Genesis 37 is where we find this. I'm, I'm going to strongly encourage you to read um, all the whole Joseph story. It's a beautiful story. We actually did the, the series called The Journey, if you remember, where we talked about how God gave Joseph the, the vision, but not the plan, and how that worked out. And, but, but even in that, that series, we kind of overlooked the brothers. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to just pull a couple scriptures out. We're going to look at uh, how the brothers were. And so in Genesis 37, starting in verse 3, it says, Now Israel, which was his dad, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And so this is, this is the beginning of their villainy. This is the beginning of their, um, their major like sins that they commit. And so then they go on. Starting in verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come, now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And if you don't know the story of Joseph, the, the reason why they hated him so much was, yes, he had this, you know, his father's favor. He had this coat. He, he was being treated like he was the, the oldest, the, the, the firstborn, the heir. He was treated with all the love and respect and honor that, that the firstborn should have, but he was the lastborn. And that was very, they hated that. But then also, on top of that, Joseph was being given prophetic dreams from God about what was going to happen, and he would say that he was kind of a, a crazy kid. He should not have, you know, he probably should not have done this, but he would brag about them. Like, I'm going to rule over you. You're going to be, you're going to bow down to me. And when the youngest kid who's got his father's favor says these dumb things he should not be saying, the brothers are like, I hate you. And they're like, and, and so they, they call him the dreamer, and they're like, we're going to kill him, and then see how his dreams work out. And so, what are some of the character traits of the brothers? Okay, this is the, this is the kind of the template that we're going to follow for this whole series. So, some of, their, uh, some of their traits are, they were jealous, obviously. And, did that go? Nope. They were jealous. And they also rejected their family. He was their brother. And yet, in their mind, he was they were like, we could not care less if you are our brother. We want to kill you. And so family was not as important as whatever they were feeling. They rejected family. 
They were obviously violent. They wanted to kill him. And then they wanted to lie about it. They wanted to cover the whole thing up. It wasn't like they challenged him to a duel in front of their father. They said, hey, let's kill this kid. We'll hide his body, and then we'll tell dad that you know a wild animal ate him. And, that, and then the question that I want us to wrestle is, do we see any of these in our own hearts? Do you, do you ever struggle with jealousy? Do you ever struggle with rejecting family or people that, you know, bug you and you just want to push them away? Have you ever struggled with violence or anger like that? Even if you, don't, even if you never do anything about it. Like, they didn't kill him, okay? They didn't kill him. They just ended up changing their minds the last minute and then selling him to a bunch of traders. And so, but, but the, it was in their heart. Like, I want to kill this kid. He, I hate him so much. And then they, they lied about it. They lied. They still said he got eaten by wild animals. Or do you have that in your heart to deceive and to hide? So the question is, what are the traits of Joseph's brothers that we need to wrestle with? And if you only read the Joseph story through the eyes of Joseph, you'll never... You'll never like, do that self-exploration. You'll never ask yourself, what are the things that the villain does? And am I doing that too? So I want us to dig. So here's the lesson of the villain, okay? That I, that I like to pull out of the Joseph story. The lesson of the villain is anger and force won't heal a broken relationship. And asterisk, the guy that you hate, he might be right all along. Like, they did everything they could to, co- like, to, to tell Joseph how much they hated him so that he would fall in line. The, they, would, they would mock him and they, would, they, they just were so mean to him. And the goal of that was that he would like take his place as the runt little brother. And yet, when I look at this, I'm like, man, it's so sad that all of these sons had such a broken relationship. And I, I just imagine, like, what if, what if they had actually tried to heal the relationship? Like, what if they had actually said, hey, Joseph, when you say those things, it actually, like, makes us feel like we're worthless. And that's not the way the story goes. We know that. The other funny thing is, they hated this guy, and they hated his dreams, and they hated the way he, he bragged. And yet, in the end, everything he prophesied, everything he said was going to happen, completely happened. And so, here's a, here's a little side note, okay? When I read the Old Testament, especially Genesis, especially Genesis, what I do is I put myself in the position of one of the Israelites at the at the after Mount Sinai. So Moses comes down from the mountain, and we think he comes down with the Ten Commandments. He comes down with Genesis. And he says, hey, God wants you to know where you came from because you have been in slavery for the last 400 years, and you think you know like who you are and who God is and who, who nations are and who, who you, where you come from. You don't. God is going to give you your, your history all over again. And so when you're... you're you're a wilderness-dwelling freed slave, and you read about Joseph. And then you're in the middle of family conflict. 
with other brothers and sisters. And you start to ask yourself, like, man, maybe force and anger and violence is not the answer to solving broken relationships. And so, we can pull a lot of lessons out. This is just the one I wanted to use as an example. Here, here's the thing. This is the lesson that we learn from Joseph's brothers. We actually do not learn this lesson from Joseph himself. We actually don't learn this lesson from many of the heroes in the Bible at all. This is a lesson we learn by coming alongside the villain and saying, man, what can I learn from what you did? Amen? I hope that helps. I got one more for us, and then we'll, then we'll wrap up. We're going to look at Pharaoh. So Joseph, his brothers, they come into Egypt, and then hundreds of years later, they're all in slavery to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so, we get Moses and Pharaoh. And typically, we, we read that story, and we come alongside, we think we're more like Moses. And yet, I want to look at who Pharaoh was and, and some of the stuff he did. So, in Exodus 5, 6 through 9, that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. And so Pharaoh was in power. Pharaoh was the one in, in charge of everything. And he prioritized not just his power, but the productivity of whatever he was telling people to do. He prioritized that over the people themselves. And Moses, if you read that story, Moses didn't originally come in and say, hey, release all of my people. He actually just said, hey, let us go out into the wilderness to sacrifice, you know, do a festival to God. And it's kind of like he was saying, we'll, we'll come back. But, uh, but, but Pharaoh was so resistant to change. Like, no, I am controlling you. You don't get to say what you do. I tell you what you do. And this is how things have been going, and this is how things are going to continue to be going. And then comes the plagues of Egypt. And this is later in the book. But we're, I just want to do a, a summary of, Mo, of Pharaoh's reaction to all the plagues. Okay, This is what God says at the beginning. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. And I want to talk about what did God, how, how did God and Pharaoh interact right here? But he, let's, let's just read these real quick. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart, yet his heart was unyielding. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen. He sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and said it again. Now, this has like baffled theologians for 
millennium. Did God make Pharaoh sin by this hardening of his heart? And I think from what we know from God's nature throughout the rest of the Bible, my, my guess, my, my interpretation is no, that God did not make Pharaoh have no choice but to sin, okay? One of my favorite examples of this, or explanations of this, is you have two qualities, two, two, um, two things, a, a lump of clay and a lump of wax, okay? And you put those out in the sun. They're exposed to the same thing, and yet the wax melts, and the clay bakes and gets harder, okay? And so, you could say about both of them, the sun made the clay hard, right? You could also say that the sun made the wax soft. But it's not because the sun did different things to them, it's because they had different characteristics. And so, the, the, the way that I think about Pharaoh is that he was clay, he was not wax. And it's not that God caused the action, but it's that God caused the reaction. That, that Pharaoh's heart, when it, when it sees what God is doing, it gets hard. And you can say, God made Pharaoh's heart hard. In the same way that you can say, the sun made the clay hard. But it's, I don't think that it's God like saying, I'm going I'm to remove your free will and you're only going to do horrible things to people. In, this, in much the same way, if, if I... Uh, None, none of our, our really well-behaved children here, but let's say that there's a really poorly behaved child and the parent gives them an iPad and he's on the iPad and then I say, hey, uh, now what if you take the iPad away from your child? And they say, if I take my iPad away from my child, uh, they're going to freak out. They're going to like lose it. Now, did taking the iPad away make the child throw a fit? You could say yes. But is that, did that, the parent make the child throw a fit? No. The child, the conditions were right, so that when the iPad was taken away, the child threw a fit. And in the same way, Pharaoh, when he encounters God, his heart hardens. And so I have to ask us these questions. These are the characteristics of Pharaoh. And I want us to really ask ourselves, do I see these in me somewhere? Do I ever prioritize power over people? You might think, well, I don't have any power. <laughs> we all have some degree of control that we influence and, and exert. Do I prioritize power over people? Do I resist change? And when I'm challenged, am I the clay or am I the wax? Do I get softer when I'm challenged by God or even by another person? Or does my heart harden too? And do I stop listening when I don't like what I'm hearing? These are the traits of Pharaoh. <clears throat> and I, I need us to ask ourselves, like, do I see this in me somewhere? On that scale, from Moses to Pharaoh, wh what is my heart more like? And we always want to put it down like, no, I'm totally like Moses. Maybe you're not. Maybe I'm not. And so here's my, here's my lesson. Here's, there's a lot of lessons from Pharaoh, but here's the one that I'm going to put up on the screen, okay? 
Power and pride, is that not changing? Dang. Power and pride go hand in hand and bring destruction. And again, this is a lesson we don't learn from Moses. You could study out Moses till the day you die, and if you ignore Pharaoh, you're not going to learn about the danger of power and pride. And when you make the same bad choices over and over and over and over again, like Pharaoh did across all the plagues, maybe it's time to look at your power and your pride. Now what do I mean? Power is your ability to control your circumstances, and we all have that. We all have some power. Control over people, control over things, so that you get your way. And then pride is what that magic ingredient that makes you clay and not wax. It's the thing that makes your heart hard when you're challenged. It makes it, it's the thing that makes you refuse to listen. And here's what's crazy. The Israelites didn't learn the lessons of Pharaoh because they were the good guys. And so when the Israelites became king, just read through 1 and Kings, 1 and Chronicles. And we ask ourselves, like, what's the matter? Like, why are these kings, they get to power, and then they, like, do evil in the eyes of the Lord over and over and over again? And it's because they thought they were the good guy, and they never needed to learn the lessons of the bad guy. So where do you need to learn how to give up control? Just like Pharaoh needed to learn how to give up control. Let the people go. It would have saved his country, and even his family, so much pain and grief. But where do you need to give up control? And then where do you need to be more humble? Where is your heart hardening, and where are you shutting off your ears and refusing to listen? And so, that we're going we're gonna to end our lesson here, and we are going to pick it up next week. We're looking at more villains. We're going to spend the next few weeks looking at the villains, seeing if we see ourselves in them and, and seeing like what is the lesson that the villain has to teach me. And, I'm just going to say it again, I hope, I hope that as you read your Bible, as you move forward in your relationship with the Word of God, I hope that we can like stop assuming that I'm always the hero and be humble enough to ask God for a challenge and for a conviction. Amen? Amen? Guys, thank you so much. And with that, Tyson is going to do our communion today. So come on up, Tyson.